Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, the home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. Um, by the way, <laughs> Longhorn Bear says, please stop playing Zay singing. Oh, I like it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll sing some more when you get to the top of the hour here. <laughs> so it kind of grows on you like a fungus bear. Just hang with it there, okay? Right. I enjoy it. Um, so Texas, Wednesday, and, and I, I stress the, the word tentatively here. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian is tentatively scheduled for a press conference Wednesday morning. Okay. At some point Wednesday, but I've heard Wednesday morning. There's nothing official on it because you've got one prospect that we know of that Texas is trying to flip, that being Warren Roberson, the Red Oak mm-hmm. defensive back committed to TCU. Uh, Hudson Standish, we talked about this, our crew at Horns 24-7. Hudson Standish put in a 24-7 sports crystal ball prediction for Texas to flip Warren Roberson on Friday. My colleague Mike Roach followed up with one over the weekend, so things look to be heading in the right direction there with Warren Roberson. But wow. Wednesday okay. will be the big day. Wednesday is the, the first day of the traditional signing period. I can't, You can't even say the real signing period anymore, correct? Because the real signing period now is the one that happens in December. So that's mm-hmm. when the bulk of these guys sign. So Deuce, uh, Deuce Robinson, also the tight end out of the state of Arizona, really talented two-sport prospect. Uh, he's coming down to making a decision. You can get over to Horners 24-7 to check out the latest on what's left for Texas in the 2023 class. But again, I, th- I think if you're going to hear from Sark, tentatively it's scheduled for Wednesday, but nothing is set in stone as far as I know yet. Uh, and it's going to be a quiet day for Texas. Outside of Warren Roberson, there's not a whole, and Deuce Robinson, just not a whole lot, at least that we know of right now, that's scheduled to happen. Something could pop up here in the next 24 to 48 hours, but that would be unexpected at this point wow. if something really came to the forefront. So going to be a quiet Wednesday. But I think it would be good to hear from Sark for a couple of reasons. Craig, one, the hiring of Chris Jackson can talk about the mm-hmm. wide receivers coach situation and the additions of the transfer portal in from the transfer portal that have happened since – the uh, signing day press conference yep. back in December. You know, Jalen Catalan is a part of that group. A.D. Mitchell is a part mm-hmm. of that group. Uh, also, DeAndre Moore was added late. Tassilia Kana was added late. And Moore's on campus right now. So uh, it's quite a bit of stuff Sark can go through uh, talking about this class. And then kind of mm-hmm. – Reporters can ask him if Arch found his ID. Arch found his ID. Yeah, yeah how some of those newcomers are doing on campus. And, and I, the, the key thing for me when – Talking to Sark, if Sark does talk on Wednesday, the key thing for me is what does he reveal in terms of what are they looking at from a number standpoint? Because I know he doesn't really want to talk specific positions they're targeting. What are they looking at, generally speaking, from a number standpoint in terms of guys that they're going to add? Because you're at the point now, the more you add, now you're you're counting on having that attrition. Because, again, I'll stress this, Craig, because I can't say it enough. You're in an uncapped year when it comes to initial counters. You're not bound to that 25 in one year and worrying about can you how many can you roll back? How many how many did you roll back? How many can you roll forward? Whatever the case is, you don't have to worry about that. All you have to worry about is when everybody gets here this summer, as long as you're not over 85, you're fine. So how many more can they plan on adding? And if that number, I think if that number is over over three, two or three. Expect a healthy amount of post-spring attrition, and you would expect some anyway, just because how happens the amount of young guys you have on this roster, guy with one-time transfer, guys are just going to see an opportunity to play elsewhere, and that could be some older guys maybe deciding, hey, I may be done playing, I may just want to sit this one out, get my degree, and and kind of retire from football and go the academic route and figure out whatever's next. It's a number of ways you can do it, but uh, 
that's kind of the focus for me now in terms of roster building going. It's not necessarily high school recruits you're going to add. It's what are you looking to add? How many are you looking to add from the portal? And he might not know the answer to that because there might be, knock on wood, there might be an injury that takes place during spring ball or maybe an unexpected attrition happens, and now you're thinking, okay, we we have to add a a tight end or uh, you know an off ball linebacker, or running back, whatever it is that necessarily we weren't necessarily planning on taking because you've had something something go wrong in one of those position groups. How about this text from our good friend, the great Eric Rains, Coke FM, it says. Weird seeing Jimbo and Saban at Lake Belton last Friday. Apparently, Sark helicoptered in also. Micah Hudson. Wow. Yeah. Want to take a look at Micah Hudson, right? So, kind of had an all-star cast out there for that. He might be the top receiver in the country in the 2020. Certainly the top in the state, wouldn't you think? Yes, in the 2024 class. Yeah. Made a junior day visit to Texas, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Yeah. An unexpected visit. Uh, and shout out to our crew at Horns twenty four seven for for being on top of that. So that's pretty much going to do it for the football part of this. I yes. wanted to get into that because there's just not a whole lot to get into. One thing I want to mention on the basketball front, Craig. Mm-hmm. You know, you go through the box score from the Tennessee game and just see kind of the lack of production you got from some of your frontline guys. Uh, Marcus Carr eleven points, probably the worst shooting night he's had in a while. Uh, but this, courtesy of Scott McConnell in the uh, Sports Information Department over at Texas. Uh, in 13 games under Rodney Terry, Marcus Carr's averaging 19.4 points per game. He's shooting 48.6% from the field, mm-hmm. 44.2% from three, and he's 84% from the foul line. So he's flirting with being one of those 60, 40, 80 guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and let me also tell or, you I'm this. sorry, 50, 40, 80 guys. If he was shooting 60% from the field, we'd have a hell of a story on our hands. Yeah, he would be. Um, the foul, 11 seconds into the game, I think really kind of just set him back a little bit, kind of threw him off his stride, and then he picked up a second one, uh, what, four minutes into the game, mm-hmm. I guess it was? And so that really handicapped a lot of what he was he was going to do. And I think that was, that was a big part. They had a little bit of difficulty navigating – uh, the way the game was officiated because the way, and I'm not blaming anything on officiating, I'm talking about they had a difficult job uh, navigating how it was being officiated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Orn pointed out that they didn't protect the shooters that much, but they were really watching the bumping and grinding that was going a lot inside, and they were real big on watching screens. I, I've mentioned this, that SEC officials, and, and that was an SEC crew, ACC officials and Big East officials. I, I grew up seeing this uh, in ACC country, and I can tell you, if, if they were to pull the numbers, ACC officials, Big East officials, and to a lesser extent, SEC officials call more offensive moving screen fouls than you'll see anywhere else in the country. More than the Big 12, more than the Big 10, more than the Pac-12, more than the other G5s. If you If you were to see that, they are very highly attuned and uh, dialed into calling offensive fouls and moving screen fouls. And you just have to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you just have to get used to it. That's I grew up seeing it, and, and I've seen it that way for years and years, and uh, seeing guys like uh, Jim Burr and John Clockerty, you know, those guys, uh, Jerry Donaghy, those guys 
call lots of offensive fouls. And uh, Tim Higgins, uh, that, that, you know, stuff moving. They're watching a lot of stuff going off the ball as well. So you have to just have to adjust if, if things happen like that. Uh, one other note on basketball that I want to get to before we talk some Longhorn baseball. Yeah. Uh, Adam Finkelstein, my colleague at 24 7 mm-hmm. Sports on the national side. Before the weekend's games, he had an article grading the five the five star freshmen, uh, the freshman prospects across the country sure. who are five star guys in, a, in the twenty twenty two recruiting cycle. Uh, he gave Dylan Mitchell a B. Now Dylan Mitchell did not have a great game on Saturday. Uh, pretty much goose eggs across the board. He had one point in eleven minutes. Uh, so the stats are modest for a former top ten recruit, but the reality is Mitchell has never been the type of player who needed to score a lot of points to make an impact. I think we've seen that this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he has done is utilize his athleticism and energy to help Texas to at the time a seventeen to three record, despite extreme adversity after Chris Beard's arrest and subsequent firing. Craig, I think when you look at Dylan Mitchell, he reminds me of a lot of guys we've seen for the past few drafts. That uh, you'll see guys go into the draft and there'll be lottery picks. That you look at their numbers from college, you're like, dude, this guy averaged six points and four rebounds a game. How is he a top ten pick? And then you see the highlight reel, and you're like, oh, he's long, he's uber athletic, and the upside is there. I think you're at the point. Shaka used to say this about his young guys. uh, You know, whether it was Mo Bamba or whoever, uh, Jarrett Allen, you know, he's gonna he's not gonna play his best basketball at the University of Texas. Hopefully, the best basketball he plays is four or five years down the road. When he's an NBA veteran working towards getting that second contract. Yeah. Uh, I always and I think that's the case for Dylan Mitchell. Yep. And I always lean on a guy like Eddie Orn to tell me about it because Eddie not only is a former coach of so long and knows so much basketball, far more than he's forgotten far more basketball than I'll ever remember uh, or that I'll ever learn, but he's also a, a scout for the Brooklyn Nets. And Eddie looks at the game differently. And, uh, and when you ask him about Dylan Mitchell, he would tell you, you know, the, the spec stuff and the way that he approaches the game, those are his plus side mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And he will tell you that probably what NBA teams will want to see more uh, from Dylan, because um, he'll, you know, uh, he thinks that he'll be back for a sophomore year, and that what they'll want to see more is a little more of a mid range game. They want to see him be able to shoot the ball a little mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, that would be it. Otherwise, uh, NBA scouts love him. Just yeah. to think that he's you know he's got all those skills and all those skills. These are the same guys, by the way, who uh, and Eddie was right at the top of the list. Who was saying, you know, um, Jackson Hayes is a guy that uh, you can go. Uh, Jared Allen mm-hmm. is is a guy that you know you need to uh, really be taking. Jericho Sims is starting for the Knicks yeah. these days. So those guys who have the skill sets and can do it, they just need to develop a few other elements of the game, like the outside shot. Uh, Arterio, or so Dylan Mitchell from Adam Finkelstein at 24-7 Sports, he got a B-minus for the season he's put together so far. Arterio Morris gets a C-plus. Uh, this is from Adam. He's played steady rotation minutes on a Texas team that has played well in the face of adversity. Although he's been behind Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, and Serge Barry Rice, that has helped ease the burden of his transition since he's understandably talented but not yet ready for a much bigger role on a team with Final Four aspirations. I think that perfectly sums up kind of where Arterio yep. Morris is right now. I totally agree. Uh, and when he can get a little more comfortable with what they're asking of him defensively, 
clearly he's comfortable in the offensive set and can take shots and things like that. He had five quick points off the bench on Saturday when the Longhorns were keeping it uh, relatively close in the first half when he had to go into the game early because Marcus Carr had the two early fouls. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between basketball such a different dynamic than football. Uh, You know, you see a lot of guys come from, you know, high school, public school programs, uh, and and there's kind of a, you know, just a, a more traditional process for football prospects getting acclimated to the college game. With basketball, guys that go to places like Montverde or Oak Hill mm-hmm. or you know, wherever, uh, La Lamere, the, the, the big basketball factories, those guys seem more acclimated at the start, whereas a guy like I, I think we saw this from Greg Brown a little bit, and I think this is kind of where Arterio is right now. And I heard this about Arterio at the McDonald's game, you know, playing at Kimball, even though he plays summer ball and, and things like mm-hmm. that like everybody else does. Seemed like the game was maybe moving just a little bit fast for him, you know, being on the on the floor with similar athletes, similar skill sets. It took some adjusting, and I think you're seeing that. But uh, he's got a chance to be a really good player down the road. Uh, uh, anything it, else you wanted to add? Yeah, Craig? yeah. yeah. Um, when we had Longhorn Weekly the other night, and I had Dylan Mitchell on, I asked him about the adjustment at Montverde Academy, and there was a little bit of adjustment there because uh, the adjustment from that to college basketball, the transition was a little smoother because he was already living away from home. Now, he said it was kind of weird because there weren't a lot of students uh, there at Montverde. And he goes, and it was like K through 12. So he would like walk out of class and walk another, and he'd be walking a second grader along with him to class (laughs) or something. So, uh, but he's, he's such a joy to be around. I can see where Dylan would really enjoy that, would like that. He's a great kid. And uh, so he got a little bit of adjustment. And I asked Rodney Terry about that, about the differences, not good versus bad or ahead versus behind, but the differences, the nuanced difference between recruiting an academy guy Mm -hmm. and a public school guy like an arterio or something like that. And Rodney said, uh, well, I'm certainly not going to tell you that uh, academy guys are way ahead of public school guys because there's some great, great public school guys that come out, and there's great coaching in our Texas high school, our, our our public schools. He said it is different in that what he said what Dylan said about living away from home. It's a little bit different in how they comport themselves, but in terms of the basketball skill set, he said you know the the public school guys get great education and great skill set training as well. Mm-hmm. And Kibble's one of those traditional powers. In fact, I think they're ranked near the top. Uh, right now with the five A poll, mm-hmm. so uh, so let's talk some Longhorn baseball. Yep. Uh, met with David Pierce, uh, Lucas Gordon, and Dylan Campbell on Friday, the first day of full squad stuff, and they had a, actually had a scrimmage on uh, Friday. I had to run, I had to bail, but I did stick around for batting practice. Uh, talking to David Pierce, uh, we'll get more into it, but uh, a lot of people want to know, hey, what's the timeline look like for Tanner Witt? We even talked about it last week. Uh, he made the preseason all Big 12 team, so it's yeah, like, oh, is he, I guess he's accelerated his progress, well, and, right? And David was even talking about this, uh, you know, kind of that all preseason all Big 12 team with the coaches vote. It's like, man, some of those positions is like, there's so, there's, there are a lot of guys that have played a lot of baseball, but at the same time, there's so much turnover in the league from one year to the next. Like, man, who, who do you vote for? For this thing, and he and he can't vote for his own players, right. so right. that's uh-huh. the other coaches in the league voting for Tanner Witt. Sounds like if it, he said he's ahead of schedule, doing a great job, but the probably the earliest you're looking at getting him back on the mound, probably early to mid-April yeah. at the earliest. Yeah. So maybe so to add him to a preseason All Big Twelve team yeah. might be a bit premature. Yeah, exactly. You're hoping by the conference tournament he's 
getting sound, up to where he's yeah. yeah you can rely on him but again, even even if you get him on the mound in early to mid April you're going to it might be you know it'll have to be one inning and then really see he's how still the, ramping up yeah see how the rest goes and the recovery and then you know just kind of slowly build him up to where at some point hopefully he's able to be the the caliber starting pitcher that and I, I asked I asked David this cuz I'm curious to know uh you know Every it's a case by case basis with everybody, but is there something that he's noticed over the years? Guys coming off of TJ, there's something kind of universal with the recovery process that he notices. He said most guys struggle with really knowing, getting comfortable throwing hard again, and really knowing at what point can you just let it go mm-hmm. and and be that high velo guy again, and, and how much at what mm-hmm. point do you trust? He said, getting kind of like the wide receiver with the coming off the ACL. Yeah, yeah. you getting over that hump of really okay. I feel good. I'm confident. I'm comfortable. Now I can go turn it loose. That's the kind of the hump a lot of those guys have to get over. Now Tanner's going to go through some of that down the road. Here's a two part question, and it, and it's it, I always liked it when somebody would call in and ask Brad Sham. Uh, I got a two part question, and it'd be like Cowboys and then the Mavericks. He could say, "No, those are two separate questions. That's not a two part." <laughs> but this is a two part. When I get the answer to the first part, did anyone ask him? Did he say who right now his starting shortstop is? Uh, he said if if the season started today, it would be Mitchell Daly. Exactly. And here's the second part, which makes it a two-part question. How has the transition gone for Mitch moving from second to short? Because that was going to be one of the key question marks going into this year. If Mitchell's moving to short, how's the transition working for him moving from second to short? So, so far, so good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kato Harris is a guy they, they mm-hmm. really like in terms of his defensive ability, but Mitch is ahead yep. offensively, and he's one of your veteran guys. You like having him there. The second base could be turning into a little bit of a battle mm-hmm. with Jack O'Dowd mm-hmm. and Jaden Duplantier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a really good fall, really good winter. Uh, he's going to get a chance. Trey's uh, younger brother, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, Dre, yeah, Dre. Trey's yeah. younger brother. Yeah. Andre Duplantier's yes. younger brother. Jayden. I thought you said Trey for a second. No, no. Dre. I'm so used to seeing Trey Faltini and Silas yeah, right. and some of those guys. Uh, the, the catching situation, you know, Peyton Powell's a guy that's been mm-hmm. injured for the better part of the last two years. Yep. And he, he's in that mix. Ryan Galvan's in that mix. Uh, Garrett Golmete, the transfer from SC, is in that mix. The, the two guys that are really excited about, and Craig, you know this from because we heard about them back in the fall, their progress through the fall, through through what they did in the winter, and now getting back to full squad. Jared Thomas is a true freshman, probably going to be your starting first baseman out of Waxahachie. Jalen Flores out of Brandeis in the San Antonio area, probably going to be your starting third baseman yep. as a freshman. It, kind of, it really reminds you of kind of maybe what that 2020 season was going to be when you had Silas Arduan and Trey Faltini and some of those young guys starting as freshmen. Uh, and but, then it gets shut down 17 games into yeah. the year. And then the outfield, it's a veteran outfield, Eric Kennedy, uh, you know, Porter Brown's a guy that mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of really good things about that could. It's going to factor into that mix. But between, you know, Eric Kennedy, uh, Dylan Campbell out there too, Porter Brown, you know, Ace Whitehead mm-hmm. maybe taking on a bigger role. Uh, it's going to be some talent there. And, you know, as far as your rotation, Zane Morehouse is a guy that apparently has, has made some strides. So uh, I, I do, I think, unlike the, and, and I think, unlike the last couple of years, kind of two part of Ramirez here, unlike the last couple of years, I think it might take you a little bit to kind of figure out what roles are going to be where it's not as clearly defined as it was when you got a veteran team. Right. And I asked David about some of the differences. He said, you know, one of the differences for him, he said kind of when you've got an older team, it, it kind of runs itself to an extent because those guys, if your culture's good and guys know how to work, 
So you don't necessarily have to do a lot of teaching. He said what's been exciting for him this offseason, he said he's really gotten back to actually teaching baseball again. He said that's been really exciting for him. No doubt about it. Uh, Somebody on Specs text line said, uh, your interview with Coach Barnes was so touching when at the end he said, I love you, Craig, and you responded, love you too. He did, and I did. Uh, You know, you get close to people over time, not just Rick, but uh, I had great relationships. Always, it's been great. Uh, you know, with Mac Brown, with Augie Garrido, uh, with 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 all of the coaches that we've had. Uh, you know, Jody Conrad, Gail Gestenkors, uh, you know, Karen Aston, now Vic Schaefer on the women's side, David Pierce with Longhorn baseball, and um, and and even you know uh, the the football coaches that came afterwards. I had great relationships with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, and now with Sark. I mean, you get to know these people, and you get close to these people, and uh, and there is a love and an affection that goes on. No By the way, when you going over to uh baseball facility to pick up your wedding present yeah i know uh if Susan, coach if you're listening yeah. we just want this on the air publicly so yeah, i did talk to craig about it on friday but david would be the first to tell you that susan went out and got the <laughs> wedding gift <laughs> and it's been sitting over in his office for probably a couple months now i would say i haven't had a chance and, and there were a couple of times when i could have gone over them when he was out of town but we'll work it out and that was that was great of them very nice of them uh thinking that yes the same ace whitehead from lampasas yes uh on that oh, so boogie putt potentially out in right field maybe center field who knows absolutely